And um, uh, it's, uh, it was kind of a crazy, very busy week for me. And to see all of you here today, it brings joy to my heart. And I'm glad to see every single one of you today. Um, we're continuing our series called Finding Your Voice. Finding Your Voice is a study through your favorite psalms. And what we've been doing is uh, we've been putting this out there. And we've been saying, what's your favorite psalm? And we actually still have one or two more slots. We extended the series to the end of August. And then come September, we're going to kick off a bunch of new things, um, including a, a series on multi-ethnic church. It's going to be off the, off the chisane. And uh, um, off the hook. So... But until then, we still have a few more slots. A few more slots for your favorite psalm. And if you still have, uh, if, you st- if you haven't, let us know. In the communication card, uh, you can write down somewhere on that yellow card, this is my favorite psalm. And what we'll do is we'll dedicate a Sunday. From now until August, the end of August, we'll dedicate a Sunday to your favorite psalm. Um, and today, uh, today is dedicated to someone here. Now, just to give a recap, we started this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about um, how to ascend and how to lift up our spirits. And worship every Sunday is showing up. That's half the battle. The other half of the battle is uh, it's, um, it's making an ascent, so to speak. This physical relocation, it's, it's lifting up our chin. Every Sunday, however our week went, we do our best. Keep your chin up. And then after that, through Psalm 139, we talked about being fearfully and wonderfully made and God's, uh, God's value that he places on you and therefore it gives you a new song. And you find a new song. We talked about that. I waited patiently for the Lord and he gave me a new song. After that, we talked about shepherding last week, how to shepherd well, how to do ministry. Today, we're going to talk about how to, how to, some instruction involved, how to pray in God's way. How to pray in God's way and God's will. And we're going to do that through Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is today's verse. And uh, actually, to be honest, the, today this person, dedic- this person asked for two psalms. And I had to choose. They're, they're different. And so I had a choice. I had either Psalm 100, which was, I think, only six verses long. And it wouldn't be too difficult to work with. Six verses long to translate for me. Quick homework, it's not that much. And then there's Psalm 91, which was the other option, which was not only 16 verses long and a lot more work to translate, but it was also theologically complex. Um, Psalm 91 is, is uh, it's, 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 it's complex to deal with. And so of the two, you can guess which one I chose. I chose the harder one. Not because I, I like, uh, you know, I'm a sucker for pain, I chose the harder one because of what it says in verse 1 of Psalm 91. If you look inside your bulletin, you'll see the passage. Or if you look, go ahead in your Bible. The first verse of Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, listen to this, in the shadow of the Almighty. In the shadow of the Almighty. Those words, oh my goodness. Those words are why I said I have to preach on Psalm 91 today. Here is why. About 60 years ago, at this time, I guess maybe 70, 1956, do the math. You know, half a century ago, there was a young couple, a young couple that moved down to Ecuador, uh, into the deep parts of the jungle, 
and they were doing missionary work. And um, at one point, the husband, there were several couples together. I mean, we have several young families here. Imagine several of us literally going into the mission field together. And all the men went out on expedition, and they were trying to break into the jungle to share the gospel with the, quote-unquote, the natives. And that day, uh, I believe four men, the four husbands, were killed. They were speared to death. At the end of the spear, Nate Saint, oh God help me, does anybody know all four of the guys? Nate Saint, obviously Jim Elliott, that's the person, but the two others, uh, bless their memory, I, I can't remember. And they all died, and they were martyrs. And the story goes, uh, actually it's not story, the true story is that uh, the wife of Jim Elliott uh, went back, went back to that tribe to preach the gospel and actually saw a breakthrough amongst, amongst those people. She lived to tell about it, so she lived to tell about it, and to live to see the breakthrough, and she wrote a book. And that book was called, anybody want to guess? The Shadow of the Almighty. And that book was based on Psalm 91. Now, what's the big, what's the big thing about this? The big thing is the lady, Elizabeth Elliot, who just wrote, or, or who wrote that book, Shadow of the Almighty, just passed away. So on my Facebook feed last June 15th, a couple of weeks ago, it lit up my, it lit up my Facebook feed. Elizabeth Elliott passed away. Elizabeth Elliott passed away. And, and many young evangelicals and Christians who were really influenced not only by that book, Shadow of the Almighty, but also her books about dating and romance and relationship. Um, you know, a lot of people mourned. And I, I also want to mention this because I know um, a lot of our young people are presently dating. And... Uh, a lot of our young people are not here, so if, you, if they hear this on the podcast or uh, if you guys can recommend this to them, I highly recommend it. The books written by Elizabeth Elliot, such as Passion and Purity, uh, Quest for Love, they might seem very antiquated, very traditional, very backwards, but in some ways they're very, um, they set the bar high. And uh, if you're able to get through it, that's why I say I challenge you to read books written by Elizabeth Elliot. Um, and um, her faithfulness as she, as she, uh, as she uh, went through that whole thing of waiting, meeting Jim Elliot, and then um, seeing them, you know, that whole, the, the, she calls it courtship, right? So it's very traditional. And that's a, that's a funny thing. In this day and age, we might think, goodness, that's so backwards. Or we might think, that's so old, it's retro, it's so forward-thinking. So um, all to say that uh, that's just my challenge to put out there. And um, especially since Elizabeth Elliot passed away, I just could not avoid preaching Psalm 91 today. And so let's do that. Let's look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verses 1 to 16. You can read along with me in your bulletin and, or just listen. I'll read the passage. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. How can she say that? Her husband was killed by spears. By spears. How can she say he will abide in the shadow? Let's continue. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. God, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. 
You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion. I'm sorry, I accidentally just closed that. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, now this is God speaking, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him and with a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Who needed to hear those words this morning? Who needed to hear those words of assurance this morning? Who here has come and needed to hear something not flip-flopping or something kind of gelatinous, but something solid that you can stand on today? Pastor, I needed to hear those scriptures. I needed to hear this is what I can stand on, and it comes not from my words. It comes from the scripture itself. And so I'm going to talk through these promises along three headings. We're going to talk about the promises first. But sometimes you hear these words and you're like, man, that's too good to be true. They're, they sound almost too perfect. And so the second heading is provisos. A proviso is a catch-22. It's a condition, exception, reservation, what if. So the second heading, we'll, we'll come around, we'll talk about the what ifs. And the third heading, we're going to zoom back and give it all some perspective. So first, we're going to talk about the promises in Psalm 91. That stuff where you can stand squarely on today and go home reassured. But secondly, we're going to talk about the provisos, the catch-22, the what-if, the reservations. What if it doesn't come true? And third, we'll talk about the perspective. We'll zoom back and see what's happening here. The first heading is the promises, the promises. And before I spell these promises out, you have fill in the blanks in your notes. You can just write down... These are the things that I can hold on to this week. I can hold on to this week. Somebody was sharing with me last night about some workplace stress. About some workplace stress. Maybe you need to hear the word uh, that, uh, you know, maybe you need to hear the word, you know, you won't be afraid. Or it shall not approach you. But let's look at these promises. Before we look at these promises, I just want to give some background um, as I studied this psalm, there's different theories about who this psalm was written to and for. There are a couple of options, a couple of options. Some people believe that this is the type of psalm that would be recited for those who are sick. So if you were in a hospital, say for example, or you had ill health, the priest at that time would come to your house and he might say some of this, he might say this as a liturgy. The pestilence, it will, it will not come near you. The plague, it will not harm you. Pestilence that stalks in darkness, the destruction that lays a waste, that won't touch you. 
So maybe this was written for people that were sick. Maybe some believe, some scholars believe, this was written for kings who were getting fitted and prepared for battle. And as they're putting on their armor, there was some guy in the front waving his arms around, and he was saying, a thousand may fall at your side, and a ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near you. So maybe that's what this was. It was something that was chanted almost before kings went out into battle. So for every king and queen here that's about to charge, or if you're having vacation tomorrow, then you'll go to charge on Tuesday morning. You need to hear those words. It will not come near you. Some believe that these verses were designed for converts, for people who just converted to Judaism. And those words, under his wings you'll find refuge. In other, words, those, in other words, you'll come. Now that you've chosen Judaism, the God of Israel, and you'll come under his wings, he'll be your shield and your protector. And these words spoken to converts. Still others believe that these passages were just for common people who almost needed, like, they just needed a good luck charm. And so they would say these wor- verses to ward off evil. Now, whatever the case is, what, what's the common denominator here is all of us need some words of hope, reassurance, and promises. I don't call this a promise to say that it's infallible, it's perfect, and it's always going to come true. I call it a promise because it shows God's baseline posture towards you. I call these promises because this is God's desire for your life. I call them promises because not so much that they will always happen this way, but this is what God wishes. This is God's hope for welfare and for a future. So God's posture to you, hear his posture to you. The fill in the blanks, straight out of scripture, verse 3, he delivers you. Some people believe that, that you know, if I become a Christian, will, will God just turn his back on me if I sin? Or will he let me go? No, God's on your side. He delivers you. He delivers us constantly. He's working on our behalf. That's good theology. This is, this is the, uh, you know, uh, for those of you that are familiar with, a little, with the doctrine of sanctification, we think that's just us. I'm supposed to do it and make God happy. No, 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 no. Even in sanctification, God's involved. He's working too. God's working. He delivers you. The second promise, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, it's, there's no perfect, you know, one, two, three. I'm just, as I see them, I'm calling them as I see them. The second promise I see is in verse 5. You will not fear. You will not fear. I have fears. I have many fears. But that's a strong reassurance The words that come, you will not fear. What will you not fear? You will not fear the terror by night. You will not fear the arrow that flies by day. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction laying waste at noon. The third promise, it shall not approach you. It shall not approach you. Sometimes in life we're just afraid to even walk out of the door because we're afraid. I just have this feeling... Something's going to happen. Something I, I just, something bad's going to, it, it, whatever it is, shall not approach you. It shall not approach you. Verse 8, you will see justice. You will see justice. Verse 10, no evil and illness will come near your house. This is where we're, we're, we're like, wow, this sounds too good to be true. 
No evil and illness will come near your house. Verse 11, angels will care for you. They will keep you up on your feet. Angels, uh, the way this is translated is, is they will not, the angels will hold you up. They'll keep you uh, from, from tripping, stumbling. So they'll, they'll keep you from stubbing your toe. They'll keep you from stubbing your toe and, and stumbling. Angels, in other words, will be, will, 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 they'll be your support throughout the day. They'll walk with you. Verse 13, you will be victorious. Victorious over what? Over the lion and the snake. That's interesting. Over the beast. There's something spiritual about that. Spiritual warfare, I think, is a, is a reality. It's a very real thing. I'll say this. I, I've, been reading, um, I've been reading some of Mark DeMaz's books about multi-ethnic church. And he shared about back in 2002 when he started, when he planted, when he was beginning to plant Mosaic up in Arkansas an intentionally multi-ethnic church, they went through a lot of spiritual warfare. And I want you guys to be aware of this. It's not just something that I should be aware of. All of us should be aware of this. Spiritual warfare is part, especially of a church that's seeking, a multi-ethnic church is about what? It's about racial reconciliation. It's about unity. So what will the devil try to do but bring in disunity? Disunity. But the reassurance here is you will be victorious. You'll be victorious over the lion and the snake. And finally, in verse 15, God will rescue you and he will honor you. God will rescue and honor you with a long life. These are wonderful promises to hear. Very hopeful things. It's scripture. It's not me. These are God's words. Take one of them. Was there something there that you needed to hear today? Circle it. And just keep it with you throughout the week. And stand on that. And if the waves are getting high and they're beginning to get a little strong, just feel between your toes. Feel between your toes those words and let it be the solid rock even as the waves get higher and a little bit, a little bit um, strong. But there are provisos. And this is where I want to just kind of put the asterisk in. What if? I mean, w- what if my tests come back this week positive? Now, most of us here are, are seasoned adults who know what it's like. I know what it's like to sit on pins and needles waiting for the test results to come back. But what if they do come back positive? What if the step of faith that you took turned out actually to be disastrous? What if, what if, what if the pro, what if, what if, what if um, you chose to do the right thing? You took the high road, but instead of people applauding you, actually you 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 got criticized or backstabbed or whatever. I'm sure, you know, workplace politics. What if, just what if, Neo turned out not to be the one? You see Morpheus like, uh, I'm, I'm totally, what, what now? This, this doesn't make sense. What if Neo is not the one? And here is where I'd like to speak and give a different slant on these verses. Yes, on one hand, stand on these like a solid rock between your toes, feel them but at the same time 
don't deal in absolutes. Don't deal in absolutes in black and white and say, God said in Psalm 91 that the pestilence will not strike us, therefore my sick child will not go to the hospital and I will not take them to the doctor because I believe God will heal them. Or, you know, there's an anti-immunization movement and, and, and for, for, for spiritual reasons as well, it's, it's all to say that kind of absolute thinking, it's not good. Why is it not good? It, it's not good because, first of all, what we're doing is we're taking Scripture and we're equating Scripture with life. I, I'm going to use the words of Philip Yancey in Disappointment with God. Yes, there's a book out there called Disappointment with God. He says it better than me. We tend to think that life should be fair because God is fair. We tend to think life should be good because life is good. But here's the thing. God is not life. God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical realities of everyday life by expecting constant good health, for example, then what happens is I set myself up for crashing disappointment. So on the one hand, yes, we stand on the Psalm 91 promises. On the other hand, don't deal in absolutes because it will set us up for harm. There was somebody else who dealt in absolutes. There was somebody else who dealt in absolutes. You know who? Satan. In fact, and this is so interesting, when you look at Matthew chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus unto the holy city and he makes him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And what does Satan say to Jesus in Matthew 4 but Psalm 91? Satan quotes Psalm 91 with absolute certainty. He says, hey Jesus, look, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down because doesn't it say in Dad's book, that he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a, so a stone. So Satan uses God's word in this absolutist sense. And that's a reason why if we interpret it with absolute absolutism, we're actually closer to Satan's interpretation than Christ's interpretation. What is Christ's interpretation of Scripture? How does Christ interpret the holy cup of God's wrath that's spoken about in Jeremiah and throughout the Old Testament? This is how Christ interprets that verse, those, those references. In Luke 22, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing. See, that's the asterisk. The asterisk is in the promises. Yes, we stand on them. But we always put the asterisk there, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then the famous words, yet not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. I am a firm believer in this. In fact, a recent convert in this regard. That many of our prayers should always end with, not my will, but thine be done. Because the thing is, so many of my prayers, they, they have something called self in them. My, many of my prayers, as, at least as far as they pertain to me personally, there's something in there. There's my agenda. There's, 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 some, um, there's, there's some self-will involved in there. And therefore, as I try to kind of do it God's way more and more, I try to end more and more of my prayers by saying, this is what I want, but you know what I need. 
Therefore, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I, I want to respect, because some of you have said very selfless prayers on behalf of somebody else and not yourself. And that's a little bit different. And you've prayed for somebody else, and you're hoping and you're, you're longing for those promises to come true. And that's a little bit different. There's not self-will driven there. But even then, it still applies. Those words, yet not my will, but thine be done. Because what if that person doesn't come through? What if the circumstances don't work out? Hold that thought, because I'm going to talk about that in the third heading, perspective. Hold that thought. There's another quote I'd like to read to you. It's from Paul Turnier. He was, he was a very famous Christian doctor in the 20th century. And he said it like this, where there is no longer any opportunity for doubt, there's no longer any opportunity for faith. Where there's no longer any opportunity for doubt, there's no longer any opportunity for faith. And so when people say, I'm not going to give my child medicine or send them to the doctor because I am certain somebody gave me a word, God said he's going to heal my child, and therefore, or, it always makes me cringe. I mean, for, for one thing, that no, no. Or sometimes I hear, you know, I'm praying for somebody and they're going to recover because God told me that they're going to be healed. And I, I'm still like, I don't know if that's the best way to interpret it. And so the application, the fill in the blank, is more so than praying for certainty, I think what, we, what we're left with in life is, is to pray for serenity. Pray for serenity instead of certainty. Pray for serenity instead of certainty. Because the thing about life the thing about life is sometimes it just seems like it's all constantly a fight. And I'm constantly fighting. I mean, even this week, you know, I was sharing with some friends and it's like, yeah, it's the 4th of July weekend. Yeah, we're probably going to have like, you know, we can expect everybody to be gone. And I'm like, oh, it's the pastor's bane, 4th of July and like, you know, these holidays. And, and my friend said to me, he said, well, life on life's terms, right? Life on life's terms. No! Life on Wayne Park's terms! You hear what I'm saying? Life on my terms. Sorry. <laughs> it's not how it works. I don't know if you got the inter-office memo. And so the secret is not so much certainty because what I need now is full conviction, certainty, life on my terms, now, my way, my way, my way. But actually we learn spirituality when we learn life on life's terms and when we learn to accept. Acceptance, it sounds like this kind of, it, but it really is, it really is the way we live and we get forward in life because they're going to constantly be left hooks, unexpected things, hidden bottles, things that you didn't expect they're going to jump at you and when we realize that we can't seem to control life we can do our best we can organize it we can order it but in the end life on life's terms and at best what we can do to grow in our spiritual life is learn to just trust God and pray for serenity and accept life on life's terms and maybe what we need is serenity instead of certainty serenity instead of certainty Certainty, leave it up to God. It's the province of God.
You know, another Christian once told me, it's none of your business, it's none of my business what people think about me. He's actually a medical professional. He was Hugh saying, it's none of my business what other people think about me. Leave that up to the province of God. God is the one who works with certainty. In the meantime, we on earth can work with serenity and acceptance. And simple uh, application. How do we do that practically? How do I do that practically? Here's the application. Just see if you can append every prayer with not my will, but thine be done. Because what happens then is we're saying, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, 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 to take self off the throne and allow you, God, to, to, to sit there. Instead, we'll do it your way. All right, so just to recap, Psalm 91 promises, promises, stand on those. Feel the rock, solid rock of God's word underneath your feet. But the provisos, number two, the provisos, keep in mind, we are not the purveyors. We are not the masters of certainty, but rather serenity. We're the masters of acceptance as opposed to certainty. And let's just say, let's give it some perspective, the third heading, the third and last heading. What if it didn't work out the way we wanted? What if like Elizabeth Elliot, who surprisingly to tell the story of her husband getting killed, decides to title her book after Psalm 91. But this gives us some perspective. You back it off here. And what Elizabeth Elliot says, and she quotes from Jim Elliot's journal. So after I die, honey, you can publish my journal to the world and let the masses know about all my wonderful one-liners. This is what Jim Elliot said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can't lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what we hear in those words is the assurance that actually, for Jim Elliot, for Christ, the promises did come true. The promises did come, did come true. For Jesus, as he, as he hung on the cross, Father, maybe the Psalm 91, deliver me. But instead, he allowed himself to be delivered over. The promise of fearlessness, you will be, you will be fearless. You will, not, you will have no fear is the promise. But instead, Jesus had to face his worst fears. He did it. He faced them. Justice should be done. I'm the son of God. I shouldn't die on the cross. Instead of seeking justice, he allowed himself to be dealt the greatest injustice of all time. And Jesus, instead of letting angels rescue him, that was his chance. Satan says, sorry buddy, you missed your only chance. The angels would have rescued you. Now you've got to die on a cross. But instead of letting the angels rescue him as they were holding back at bay from whatever that must have looked like, right? My sci-fi imagination is kicking in. The angels wanted to come down and t- take him off the cross. And through a sheer force of willpower, he said, stay. Because I have to see the flip side of Psalm 91. I have to go through this. And instead of those, that last promise of being rescued and honored, Jesus was disgraced and humiliated. But he was indeed rescued and honored. 
Why? Why? And this is the answer. The quote is in your, in your notes. Because the cross, the cross cannot be defeated ultimately because it is defeat. That's G.K. Chesterton. It's almost like Eminem at that last scene of 8 Mile. And he stands up and he's quivering. And he's, he's I've got so many weaknesses. I've got so many things. I, I've got so many... And what does he do? He starts spitting out rhymes and he just lays it out. These are my weaknesses. This is my, th- th- you can't get any lower than this. I'm defeated. I'm the weakest guy in this room. I'm the poorest guy in this room. I live on whatever and so on and so forth. And he just lays it out. And in the end, you can't top him. Why? Because he chose the lower, the lower, the lowermost place. The cross is utter defeat. And therefore, it's utter victory. Does this make sense? You can't defeat the cross because it is defeat. The cross cannot be defeated for it is defeat. And so, concluding these these words, these promises, Elizabeth Elliot is right. He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. All of these promises, he can't lose them. They might not come true immediately, but ultimately they all come true. I'll say that again. They might not come true immediately, but ultimately all of them come true for all of you who call on the name of Christ. I am confident enough to say this, that in the end, every single single one of these promises will be claimable by all of us. that gives us some perspective and that's the final perspective actually there's one more final perspective that I want to end off on right now I want to end off with the very last word of Psalm 91 what is the last word of Psalm 91 can somebody tell me salvation and that corresponds with the Hebrew The last word in English as well as in the Hebrew text of Psalm 91 is Yeshua. Yeshua, which is translated salvation, but also sounds like what? Now, it's not a word for word. it's, It's similar to the word Joshua, but also Jesus. Yeshua salvation Jesus and in this tantalizing tantalizing messianic hope Psalm 91 goes out just mentioning that last word salvation 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 Jesus you know why Psalm 91 works for all of us because of that last word That last word is the final word of your life. And therefore, because Jesus suffered all those things, all those promises will one day be true for all of us. 